what are some of the other factors that folks should consider when trying to decide how much insurance is enough? I think with insurance, bigger is always better. As No, I'm serious, because the cost usually isn't that much more dramatic, especially if you're younger. The other thing to consider is really, I mean, the first question is always, what are you trying to do with it, right? You know, I'd mentioned specific stuff. If you could set your family for life with insurance, great. I mean, you obviously don't want to die to do it. That's a terrible way to do it. But I think generally it's better to be more generous with insurance than conservative. I think the other thing to keep in mind though is inflation. You can get some with inflation riders, but you really have to make sure that's in there because otherwise you can lose a lot of value on those policies really fast. The other thing with finances and figuring it out, you have to look at the overall scheme. What may also be happening is you might be providing for people who aren't getting something from the will. So, or you might have competing family interests, we'll call them, particularly if you are in a blended family situation, so it's not a first marriage for one of the spouses. Welcome to the Will in the Way podcast, a podcast about making estate planning simple and accessible with fun stories, delightful soapbox rants, and more educational resources than you can imagine. Each week, we deliver the best insights and practical advice on wills, trusts, and how to protect what's important to you. Now, here's your host, Attorney Alexandra Jackson. Hello and welcome back to A Will and A Way. I am Alexandra Jackson, and this is my co-host for the day, Christian Terrison. Today is commandment number five, thou shalt protect thy heirs. We are predominantly going to be discussing the role of insurance in estate planning. All right. So as Alex said, I'm Christian Terrison. Ms. Jackson here is an excellent estate planning attorney. It's my unbiased opinion as an associate <laughs> of her firm. But we wanted to talk about how insurance can be used in an estate plan. I guess mitigate certain risks, things like that. We'll get into the details, though, over the course of the episode. So as a starting point, can you explain how you know insurance fits into estate plans overall, just the broad strokes? There's kind of two common insurances that are used a lot with estate planning. One is life insurance, which, of course, comes in a million varieties. And the other is long-term care insurance, which comes in... Slightly fewer. Generally speaking, they each have their own purpose. Life insurance is usually about either adding liquidity to an estate, so making sure there's some sort of cash available to the family when the rest of the things in the estate might not be particularly cash heavy, and also replacing income usually is the other goal with that. Those are kind of the primary uses for life insurance. Long-term care insurance is ordinarily about preserving assets to pass down because you'd be using the insurance instead of spending your assets or liquidating them. Or So you talked a bit about the uses of insurance in estate planning. And I guess, what are the key benefits? I know you talked about liquidity, 
But, you know, those are kind of abstract financial concepts. Money is good. That's the primary benefit, is everybody gets more money. I'm not joking. That's deadly serious. So, I mean, think about, as an example, what happens if a married couple with kids, one of them dies. Suddenly, there's no income from that spouse. And if you're like most Americans, you are living a lifestyle that requires both incomes. So where is that money coming from? Well, if you have insurance, you're normally trying to get enough insurance to supplement what that other person's income would have been. Minimum period is probably a year. I have certainly seen people go for more than that. Um, in a lot of cases, you can get insurance that's tied to the mortgage. So a specific life insurance policy whose value diminishes over time is your mortgage, hopefully diminishes, but that will pay off the mortgage. You might have one specific for college because that's an exorbitant amount of money that most people do not have on hand. So, you know, the house gets paid, the kids can still go to school if something happens to you, right? Mm -hmm. The other kind of practical matter with that is you can end up in situations where a family member is trying to leave things to people, but they have bills that still need to be paid. And so if you have a bunch of physical stuff that you want to give to people, real estate, car, your personal belongings like furniture or whatever, but creditors have to be paid, it is usually better for the family to offer to pay from their insurance proceeds and take the stuff, as it were, than to try and sell the items to pay the creditors. Mm. The other thing is, that's liquidity, basically. You are providing cash so that they can do stuff. The other two big usages that I've seen are burial and funeral expenses, which are, again, exorbitant. That's a lot of money. <laughs> And most people don't have that kind of cash on hand. So if somebody hasn't prepaid or prearranged, they will often have a funeral plan. Well, it's not a funeral plan, but a life insurance plan for their funeral or their burial intended to pay specifically for that. The other thing is probate and even trust administration is not overnight. Mm -hmm. So trusts are really fast. You can wrap them up fairly quickly, but somebody still has to do all the paperwork and do all the running around. A lot of families need something before they can get access to the assets that weren't jointly held. So if you had all the money in one person's name for some reason, probably also about liability and insurance stuff, if one of you is a professional, but access to that may not be immediate. So you may need money to come from somewhere to support the family while everybody's trying to finish off the other paperwork and logistics to get things moved. So obviously, you know, life insurance plays a huge part in the types of insurances used in estate planning. But as you said earlier, you know, there are many flavors of life insurance. So which ones are sort of used typically and why? What's different about them? What's the benefit? It honestly depends a lot on what you're trying to do, right? The best type of insurance is the one that suits your needs. I sound like a commercial, but I'm not wrong. So 
a lot of the times you'll see term policies that are intended for the mortgage payment, the college payment, because this is a set period of time. You know, theoretically, the mortgage should be paid by or the kids should be out of school by. So you're setting a period. It tends to be cheaper because it's only for that period. And for a lot of people who are young, it's very inexpensive to get fairly large policies. Um, so term is really good if you have something specific in mind. A lot of the times, a permanent or whole life insurance might be good just because you want to have that forever. Obviously, the benefit being it will always be a policy there to pay. Some people get um, insurance programs through their work. Sometimes they can pay to port them, basically. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the times that becomes permanent. The other thing with life insurance types is that, as I was mentioning earlier, long-term care insurance is around, but a lot of people will get what's called a hybrid. It's a life insurance policy technically, but it has a long-term care rider so that you could use it for either long-term care insurance or life insurance. If it doesn't pay out as one, it will pay out as the other. A lot of people like that because with traditional long-term care insurance, it's pay and use it or lose it, basically. And it can be very expensive because those companies figured out they were losing their shirts. So there are, of course, some programs for that. I think it's the main partnership program. Why can't I think of that name? At any rate, a lot of states will have programs where they have specific life and well, long-term care insurance policies that if you get them, they will credit you if you have to use their Medicaid program. So that can be a really great way to save assets, basically. Um, that would otherwise be open to Medicaid recovery. Hmm. In working with your clients, what are some of the misconceptions about you know, insurance coverage and estate planning that you hear? Mm, I think the top one is definitely I don't need it. A lot of the time people are just like, eh, I have no use for that. And it's like, well, you have a spouse and children, so I don't know what you're talking about because they're going to need somebody to provide your income. And if you can't do it, you got to find somebody else. An insurance company is pretty much the only way. Most people don't volunteer to give up an entire person's income out of the goodness of their hearts for however long. I think probably the other one is about when they should start looking at insurance. I think people get it more when they're you know married with kids or when they're buying a house. Long-term care insurance, your 50s is actually a really good time to start looking at that. Um, some of the insurance agents I talk to say that, you know, if you start in your 40s, it's really too young. You're paying for too long, basically. Um, but a lot of my folks wait until their 60s or 70s and start developing health issues that might make it harder for them to get any type of insurance. So generally speaking, before you retire, is the better time to start looking for long-term care insurance of any sort, whether that's a life insurance hybrid or a traditional plan. Gotcha. And so I know you talked about like liquidity, things like that, but what does life or insurance generally do to protect inheritance as like a, a protecting factor? As a practical matter, I've touched on these kind of separately as we've been going, but 
Not having to sell things to pay a creditor is one of the big uses of insurance. You don't want to sell the half a million dollar camp to pay a $25,000 credit no, card bill. No, you, you really don't. And there's cases where you might have to. There's certain exemptions for a family in probate, but they're not that big, you know? So if you have enough creditors, et cetera, and then the other one is really with any sort of long-term care insurance usage you are saving a ton usually. So if you either get enough of a policy that you never have to go on Medicaid or you get one of the partnership plan programs where they will let you keep extra assets going on and let you exempt extra assets at death, that really pays for itself. I mean, mm. that can be the difference between having to give up the family home or not. Sure. And you'd also mentioned, I guess, you know, the benchmarks when deciding how much insurance to get, looking at an income replacement or anticipated costs. What are some of the other factors that folks should consider when trying to decide how much insurance is enough? I think with insurance, bigger is always better. As No, I'm serious, because the cost usually isn't that much more dramatic, especially if you're younger. The other thing to consider is really I mean, the first question is always, what are you trying to do with it, right? You know, I'd mentioned specific stuff. If you could set your family for life with insurance, great. I mean, you obviously don't want to die to do it. That's a terrible way to do it. But I think generally it's better to be more generous with insurance than conservative. I think the other thing to keep in mind, though, is inflation. You can get some with inflation riders, but you really have to make sure that's in there because otherwise you can lose a lot of value on those policies really fast. The other thing with finances and figuring it out, you have to look at the overall scheme. What may also be happening is you might be providing for people who aren't getting something from the will, so, or you might have competing family interests, we'll call them, particularly if you are in a blended family situation, so it's not a first marriage for one of the spouses, you might want to do something so that the children from the first marriage don't have to wait for your second spouse to die before they get something. That can make family members tense, especially if your second spouse lives long enough that they spend everything. Your kids from the first marriage are probably not gonna be happy about that. So it's always a question of why. And then it's a question of how much can you afford and what are you trying to, you know, since you're trying to do that, how many people, et cetera. But. Mm. So I think this might be one of your soapboxes. <laughs> oh, here we go. Okay. But I wanted to ask about naming beneficiaries of your insurance policy. Oh, yeah. Are we naming trusts? Can we name the estate? Are we naming you know, an executor, okay. here's your chance. This is your moment. <laughs> God, I need a soapbox taller than this. Anyway, the key thing to know about beneficiaries and insurance policies is that you have to be aware of what your particular policy has for tax consequences and also who that opens the money to. So, for example, it's fine to pay it to an estate if you want to do that. 
But bear in mind, ordinarily, it wouldn't be part of an estate if you paid it to a person, so your creditors couldn't necessarily make a claim against it. You could just go to that person, potentially. There's so many ways to do it, but generally, it is better to have an individual person or a trust of some sort receive the money. I had a case where a gentleman, well, his brother came to me. They were doing the probate for him. He's got a minor child and an ex-wife. And the policy was written to, I forget who, but they weren't going to pay it because that person was either deceased or no longer eligible under the terms of the policy. Mm. So they were going to pay it to his estate. But because the family had done a small estate in Maine, predicting that there were less than $40,000 because the insurance policy was going to pay outside of the probate, the insurance policy said that they wouldn't pay the full $50,000 because the type of estate could only receive forty. Mm. And so that <laughs> meant that they had to go back and redo the probate-related things and actually open a full probate in order to be paid the full $50,000 to the estate, which was a pain. That was unnecessary. If the beneficiary had been up to date, beneficiary could have taken the money and just gone forward with it. So I found that to be an, an unnecessary extra step. If you had it paid to a trust directly, generally also fine, as long as all the terms of the trust are up to date, right? The biggest problem with beneficiaries is either not naming them, and again, less of a problem with insurance than with some other things, but not naming them or not keeping them up to date. There's so many things that have beneficiaries. You don't want that person to get the money. Ah, anyway. All right. So, <laughs> soapbox completed. Soapbox completed. Okay. Blood pressure decreasing. We're going to be fine. So, this is one that I'm not super familiar with. An irrevocable life insurance trust. An islet, yeah. Yeah. Talk me through the islet and what it's used for and... Do so I the, need one? Maybe. The primary benefit of the islet, well, it was, no, we'll leave that. I'm not talking about antiquated tax policies, not doing it today. I'd say the primary purpose of the islet is getting assets out of your estate. So it's an irrevocable trust, right? Mm -hmm. Which means you don't own it. Mm -hmm. So if you... For example, in uh, a main care setting, so Medicaid, if you have a life insurance policy with a cash out value, it is counted against you as an asset. They say, we want you to cash out the life insurance, which is an absurd statement, frankly, but they say it has a cash value. We want you to cash out your life insurance and use it to pay for your nursing home care. I think that's cruel, but fair enough. So. Suddenly the family loses the $100,000 policy to get the $20,000 cash out value, which is mm -hmm. unpleasant to say the least. Mm -hmm. But if you have something like an islet where it's an irrevocable trust, it's not yours. So the cash out value isn't yours. So that's mm. going to sit to the side and as long as it makes that five year look back period or whatever the current look back period is where you live, et cetera, then it's not part of the things that can be considered. 
and it won't be considered as part of your estate for estate tax purposes either. Okay. So I'm actually, I probably don't need an islet, you know, because... Many people do not. I've just got term life insurance that, you know, basically gets my daughter through to adulthood and then she's on her own. So I hopefully won't be needing to pay, you know, Medicare out of my life insurance. That would be a really... Fortunately, yes. Uh, I think that's unlikely. I mean, there's all sorts of other things you can use them for. They can be used for vehicles and as a vehicle for investment, excuse me. They can also be used to take advantage of, right now, really high estate tax, federal estate tax exemption amounts in order to do gifting. So you can set up an irrevocable trust, put in a policy worth however much in value, not pay the gift tax because you're using up your federal estate tax exemption. But this gets into, frankly, the weeds of estate planning. <laughs> so there's uses for it. I think the biggest is that it can be something that Medicaid won't go after and it stays out of your state as long as you've met all the correct time frames. Okay. And other than foregoing insurance entirely, what are some of the most common mistakes you see? people letting go of policies that are actually really good. So if you have an older policy that you're still paying, it may not benefit you to leave it for a newer policy because you may have bells and whistles they don't give anymore. I had a woman who had a shocking level of long-term care insurance guaranteed to her at a rate that was not that shocking. And so she got like first death payout and all sorts of other stuff. Anyway really good, you could definitely not buy that anymore. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, there are some policies that people just keep paying that are totally outdated. So really reviewing it in a timely manner is important. The other is you may want to change it to match your life needs. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of people give things up because of cost, which is fair, but they might not replace it or they might not look around for replacements. So just keeping in mind that you should be kind of shopping around routinely, check what you got, check what you can get, make sure you're always getting the best. Mm. <clears throat> and sort of piggybacking on that, insurability. You know, you said 40 is too early to buy for the long-term care insurance, but yeah. you know, 70 something might be too late. Yeah. You know, how does insurability factor into the, the bigger picture? I mean, there's two practical considerations. One, is whether you can get the insurance at all and the other is if you can afford it, right? So as far as age, I generally suggest trying to get it as soon as you need it. Not, it, the longer you wait basically, the more likely you are to have some sort of health condition. And the other thing is definitely start early with long-term care insurance because the better odds, regardless of whether you're getting a hybrid policy or a regular policy, are that the longer you wait, the more expensive or the less insurable you're gonna be. So mm. it's not as good a deal. With expense, unfortunately, most of the time, there's no way around that. You know, if you cannot afford it with your desired outcome and current financial means, you can sometimes settle for something in between. I'd prefer that over nothing at all, but if you're out. Mm. This one, I was always fascinated by the uses of 
insurance for estate planning when it comes to business owners. Mm. I get to learn about all sorts of cool things like key person insurance, but I'll leave the explanations to you. Yeah, I there is key person insurance on me, disclaimer. So <laughs> it is really important in businesses to stop and think about who you can't replace. <laughs> Named partners in a business, for example, you have to think about what it does to the business if they're not there. Sometimes the answer is the whole thing comes to a crippling stop. But theoretically, depending on your type of business, you might have employees who still need to be paid or, you know, anything that still needs to be paid. You've got utilities. You've got potentially a building. I know that's less common these days than it was before COVID, but there are there's probably taxes due also. So it is really important, particularly if the business cannot go on without you, to use insurance as a stopgap measure so that the business is not just going to implode into bankruptcy the instant something happens to you. Mm -hmm. Ideally, you either want it to be able to continue running without you and then to hire somebody to replace you, or you want to make it so that somebody could wind it down without total dissolution into financial insolvency. So as I said, bankruptcy, mm -hmm. but you want to be able to pay everybody, clean everything up, you know, yeah. actually take care of everything. Mm, makes sense. So also liability. This is getting a little bit off estate planning, but not too off because I'll tie it back in. The more you cover the company with liability insurance of any sort, umbrella policies, et cetera, the less likely somebody is to try and do what's called piercing the corporate veil and suing you individually to get your individual assets, which protects your family. Mm, there. A good point to make. But I was going to say, we're coming up on the end of the episode. Did you have any last pieces of advice or, you know, commandments for our listeners? Long-term care insurance. This is the one nobody wants to do. It's the one you must go do. You have only three ways to pay for long-term care. You can pay privately, you can use a government program, you can use insurance. Do not wait. Go look for it while you're still relatively young and healthy. Yes, that's my last soapbox. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today on A Will and A Way with Alexandra Jackson of Jackson and McNichol. Please subscribe and tune in next week. See you then. Thanks for joining us this week on the Will and the Way podcast. Make sure to visit our website, jacksonestateplanning.com slash podcast, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode.